Welcome to Solidity Galaxy Brain. My guest today is Treppers. Treppers is a Solidity dev and author of the Genesis Loot Contracts. In today's episode, we discuss Trepper's background in startups and how he fell down the crypto rabbit hole. First, Treppers and I discuss the core mechanisms in Dom Hoffman's Loot for Adventurers contract and how on-chain composability enables permissionless collaboration on the blockchain. Treppers then walks me through the many contracts that make up the Genesis Loot ecosystem. We discuss Genesis Mana and Genesis Adventurers, which were Trepper's very first Solidity contracts deployed to mainnet, and how each of these made reference to and expanded upon the data in the original Loot contract. We also discuss Adventure Time, or A-Time, the Genesis Loot ERC-20 token and its present utility. We chat about two lesser-known Genesis Loot contracts, Loot Classification and Loot Stats, which are on-chain utilities that expose data from the original Loot contract that was previously unavailable for composition. Finally, we discuss Bottle.to, an on-chain SVG messaging app that emerged to fill a need amongst Genesis mana traders seeking to communicate with a non-loot and mana holders on Ethereum. I had a wonderful time chatting with Treppers about his approach and the lessons he's learned along the way. By pure coincidence, Treppers and I spoke while he attended a Divine Dao Builders meetup, and I can't think of a better example of the collaborative energy surrounding Treppers' work and the loot verse that he's so deeply involved in. Genesis Loot is one of the coolest on-chain composable games where NFT trading, cross-contract composability, and lore building are the game. It was great getting to know Treppers better. I hope you enjoy the show. So welcome, Treppers, to the show. Thanks so much for, for coming through. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to, to talk about my Web3 experiences. Yeah, totally. I guess best place to start off. So as much as you're willing to share, what were you up to before getting any kind of crypto experience? Yeah, before the crypto world, I was, you know, I was actually a uh, Silicon Valley tech exec. Wow. Slash founder. My, my founding experiences started as being a full-on founder, hacker, turned developer, turned engineering manager, product manager, to you know managing teams, to managing multiple teams now, and then managing a large orgs, <laughs> where obviously along the way, I lost touch with coding. And my daily accomplishment was not coding, but was number of productive meetings I had in that day. So it was a great change of pace to to finally get back into to, to Web three, and you know the 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 trigger that really got me into Web three was was really uh, loot. And when loot got introduced, uh, I was initially extremely hesitant because I actually didn't own NFTs until loot. Oh, really? Okay. And I was extremely hesitant. Yeah, and and I kind of was like, I don't want my first NFT to just be a black background with white text. Like, you you gotta be kidding me! It's gotta be something cooler <laughs> than, than than that. But you know, actually through Tim Shell. He kind of convinced me to kind of just, he kept on convincing me to, to dig into it and dig into it. And the more I dug into it, I'm starting to see why this is really exciting and starting to see why loot itself is an extremely exciting potential indicator of, of the future of, of Web3 or what is the potential with Web3. So that was what really hooked me and then got me into looking into developing, writing Solidity, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, loot. Yeah, haven't you heard? Loot is just text. It's, it's, it's yeah. barely an NFT. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, but actually, one thing that jumped out at me when you were saying that interested me was that you started off more, more like as a founder, kind of hacking developer, and then became more of a developer over time, and then ultimately returned to maybe those roots more in management and product and that kind of thing. That's not a path you hear so often. Normally, people start off more on the development, like a hardcore developer. 
uh, if they're going to be a developer in a, in a startup context. That's, that's an interesting journey. Yeah. I mean, it, I think for me, it was, I've always been about um, building and creating something and like knowing code is obviously one of the best ways to create a thing in on the internet. But it's it's obviously like one aspect of building an organization or build, building a company. So for me, it was about building, you know, using the the skills I had at the time that you need to have at the time to to make a thing out of nothing. But then as you know, the product starts to grow, the organization starts to grow. You have to adjust that that tool set, uh, and so that, that's kind of for me what it, what it's been is just adjusting the the tools you have available at your hands to make the things you're working on bigger and, and better, basically. Yeah, that definitely resonates with me. I understand. Uh, I, I don't come from a programming background in school. So uh, what programming I've learned has been to be able to get projects done and to understand better the things that are cool in the environment. So yep, yep, yep. Super cool. So you, so you found uh, Loot and that led you to Solidity. So you weren't writing any Solidity prior to thinking about doing some of the projects we're going to discuss today, I guess. No, I I didn't know, frankly, what Solidity was. Like my 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 exposure to crypto prior to Loot was I had um, purchased some altcoins. I had you know I, I owned some some Bitcoin and Ethereum from 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 way back, but didn't really dig into it. So I knew about smart contracts. I knew they were a thing, and what they could do, but I didn't actually know the language that powered them or anything. So I didn't hadn't made that leap into Solidity. So yeah, my my first foray was kind of um, trying to build a, a thing. And, and I think as, as we mentioned previously, um, really early on was that like the, the best way to learn is to, is to do, especially from my perspective. And so being finally being able to say like, all right, there's a project I want to build that's going to be based off of the, this primitive loot. Let me finally learn some of the stuff that is needed to, to get to that point. So for people's reference, uh, as we record this, uh, loot was launched you want to take a guess at how, how many days ago it was? <laughs> oh man, days. I think it was in August of 22. Yeah, that's right. right? August, uh, no, August 21. So August, 21, August 27th, yes. 2021, 265 days ago. Seems like it was longer than that in a way, but I guess it kind I of mean, yeah, at the same time. Yeah. So, uh, right. Well, so you're a fresh, a fresh Solidity developer in a way, less than 265 days. Is, is yeah, I know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and but what was crazy was as I was learning it, I was going through, I was kind of looking stuff stuff up as as you do as a developer on Stack Exchange or, or wherever else you, you might find stuff. And I, I was, I'm slowly realized like, wow, like this language is one evolving very quickly because I'd find Stack Exchange posts where it'd be like. Oh, cool. Someone has that exact same question. Here's a solution. I'm like, wait, that is for Solidity, some really old version. Sure, does sure. not dot, work dot anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, or I would find, I'd be like, great, this is my exact question. I click in and be like, wait a minute, there's no answer. And it was posted last month. I'm like, okay. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the cutting edge at least, or I'm gone down the wrong rabbit hole, right? <laughs> um, so so, so there, there are lots of late nights of me trying to understand, understand Solidity, understand the context around it. But yeah, I think what's interesting about Solidity is the fact that it is like a, you know, a whole new language. It is readable, which kind of makes it relatively readable, makes it a little bit easier to, to adopt. Definitely. Um, but it has, it has this, this feel of like, um, it's, it's obviously not as simplistic as say JavaScript, but it does have this buildability aspect of it. And I'm, I'm not too sure if it's so much because of the language itself or because of the fact there's this massive corpus of 
open source slash readable code that's out there that you can just kind of learn from. Yeah, that's a really good point. It does feel like Solidity and EVM are like this nexus of open source software and like financial model to support it in a way that hasn't really existed before, or at least that I hadn't seen anywhere quite the same. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something else about Solidity about it. Something about it just feels, and maybe it's something about, I've always felt that kind of the EVM, at least in the era that I've been paying attention the last year or so, a little bit more than that, EVM is still, and mainnet is still, it's simple enough that it's really approachable. Whereas I think in, mm-hmm. in a few years when it's like sharded and, you know, there's just all kinds of complexities around retrieving old state and things, it'll be a lot in a way, like everything is in memory. Everything is mm-hmm. just right at your fingertips. So, and something yeah. about the orientation of the language also is just approachable and yeah, readable, as you say. I haven't played with Viper yeah. yet. I don't know. Uh, I know some people really love Viper and it has some affordances that are maybe help you avoid certain kinds of bugs, but uh, so far, I felt really I've been having a lot of fun writing Solidity. Yeah, yeah, no, same. So, how did you get the idea for? Well, I mean, maybe we should explain like briefly what's Loot. I'm sure everybody knows, but you want to do like a couple <laughs> sentences on what is Loot? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Loot, Loot was essentially a contract that was created that I think one of the first that really took advantage of the composable nature of smart contracts. I think, I mean, it was always there. And they, but the NFT space had largely been using NFTs just to like record provenance and, and ownership and nothing to do permanence or, or, or composability, largely because they were just you, you know, saving a URL to a file located on maybe IPFS or worse, AWS. But so I, I think Loot was one of the first to really take advantage of like, wait, this smart contract, like you could write functions and have people access these functions and kind of the, as well as the way the image that shows up is is kind of created on on the chain itself. Yeah, there were definitely uh, there on, were some other contracts that were doing. Yeah. Uh, Avastars comes to mind as one that was doing on chain mm-hmm. SVG, although differently, given that it was prior to the Uniswap v3 base sixty four OpenSea display stuff. But but definitely in terms of composability, it felt. I'm sure there were other contracts that were doing things that were yeah. composable, but. And I think it sort of angered people a lot. We were joking about it before, but this like it's just a, it's just a bunch of text or whatever. But really, the point is that it was a hundred percent focused on stripping away everything except for what was required for maximum composability, and that's why it was text, and that's why uh, it was on chain SVG. So uh, definitely something special about it that I think spoke to people who uh, were interested in looking at this composability. That was so hot all of a sudden. Yeah, I, I think that that economic incentive help drive some of the urgency and um some of the the desire to be like there is something here to to build and i think i recognize along with tim shell who's actually my irl co-founder of the of the company that we created we kind of saw like well there there's a moment here that we should capitalize on because there's something interesting here and people are spending money on on like these loot derivative projects and they all feel a little um, lacking. So let's try and build something that is built off this loot thing, but build an actual game, build an actual thing that that that's on top of it. That's definitely the feeling I got when learning about Genesis Mana, Genesis Adventures, and I guess you call this like the Genesis loot sort of ecosystem or universe of yeah. projects? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, we pretty much just call it like the Genesis project and it's all kind of mixed into there. And I think that the, I remember when we first launched it, we were super excited but we struggled to kind of explain 
what how it works, what it is, and what the actual game itself is. But I think eventually someone came on and was like, you're basically playing Go Fish, but with like loot items <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to essentially eventually create. So a, a loot bag is, is basically a bag of eight fantasy items that were kind of uh, randomly generated from, from, uh, from the contract itself. Each of these items have different levels. They have different classifications. And, and they're kind of the stuff you would expect to see in any kind of fantasy world. And so the idea was that each of all of these items somehow are in this fantasy world. And you've now identified a batch of them in your loot bag. And, uh, and, and that's it. And Dom, who created the contract, kind of was like, and now it's up to the community to figure out what to do with them. And that was kind of where you left it. So each so each bag will have like one of, one of each of the eight categories of things, like a, a weapon, a, you know, foot yep. armor, a helmet, or these kinds of properties. Um, and yeah, so it's like all the items that a character might be carrying or wearing at a given time in like an RPG. Um, but they're yep. sort of all mixed up, all jumbled across all these eight thousand loot bags, aka the loot NFTs. Right, and and at the time of release. There was no clear indication about around what was rare, what was what wasn't rare. You know, if there's a sense of of leveling or ranking, none, none of that was kind of. Everyone will uh, remember the uh, divine robes uh, going crazy yes, early exactly. on. Thank you, Sharuz, yep. Sharuz, yeah. who started the, right. the meme of that. But that was an interesting yeah. choice because it was like divine robes were somewhat rare, but not so rare, and so they were something people right. could kind of go crazy about uh, because it was feasible to buy one but they actually were not the rarest thing. It was just sort of a right. meme. And, and it, yeah, it was 100% a meme. And thankfully, it turned out to be a rare item because otherwise it would have been very awkward. <laughs> it was like a super common item. <laughs> Although people, it is better, I think, to have these. I don't know if there's a name for this. There must be some name in like collecting academia about these kind of things that are not, not, not the rarest. They're sort of attainably rare. They're not super common, but they're... Uh, not so difficult to acquire that they're, they cost millions of dollars. Right, right, yeah. So I wanted to just, before we jump into how Genesis Mana sort of builds upon loot, I thought maybe it would be interesting mm -hmm. for people to understand a little bit about how the loot contract works. I took a look at it earlier and, and uh, could go through it, or if, if you feel prepared, uh, uh, yeah. do you want to take a stab at how the loot contract sort of generates both the contents of the bags and, and then the visual? Yeah, so the way the the loot bag um works is essentially there there's essentially a, a randomizer it's called a key lock function that essentially is what derives uh what the items what the items should be and and where they show up in the bag and the the seed which you know every randomizer needs some type of seed um in this case is based off the the token id so this would mean that all loot bags are essentially deterministic you can kind of get a sense of if you're looking for a specific item, you could run it through this this function that would allow you to um, then derive uh, what it spits out a bunch of numbers, and those numbers then correspond to words, and those words then form the name of the item and like the level and the the the, the power of of the greatness of the item, and so on and so forth. That is essentially how it randomly generates um, the item the items. I think. Yeah, so I, it's interesting you said P-Luck. I would have said Pluck. Is, is P-Luck a, a randomness thing that I don't know about? I actually don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah so I, I took a look in detail a little bit. And so the basically broad outlines, the token URI function on the loot contract 
construct a base64 encoded SVG out of these 17 different parts. Some of the parts are uh, little bits of little strings that are like required for generating a, an SVG that'll actually render. And in between those little pieces that are being concatenated, it's pulling the traits from the actual contract. And to decide which trait, like say for the uh, get, you know, it'll be like a little chunk of a little string to creating the SVG, opening up the SVG tag, and then it'll be like get weapon and it'll go find that in another internal function in the contract. Or I guess they're public functions. So those functions are using this pluck or pluck randomness uh, function. And the way that that one works in, in particular is um, that it's a generating a random UNT256 based on the key prefix, which is a word like weapon or foot, depending on which property you're going after. Uh, mm -hmm. as well as a stri the string array of all of the certain class of items like uh, weapons or foot armor, etc. Anyway, it does some math to basically generate which item you're going to get for the, uh, in that particular trait in the, uh, for uh, your given loot bag. And it also, in the process, uh, defines this greatness factor, which comes to play a role in the Genesis Mana contract. And basically, the greatness is connected to uh, which property it's certain orders have certain levels of greatness based on how the randomness is calculated is that right yes and so the order is really basically another another randomly generated number that that, that comes out of it and so that's like a, a they're called suffix how a suffix is de determined to what shows up at the end of a uh of an of a specific item so these are like uh of power uh -huh. twins of the fox these sort of suffixes that come at the end of the traits inside the the loot inside the loot bags, uh, some of them yeah. have these rarities if they're of a their level or greatness fifteen or higher based on how what the yeah. number pops out of this randomness function pluck. They if they end up with a greatness uh, higher than fifteen, then they get assigned one of these orders. Yeah. So that comes to play a role in Genesis Mana. So we've got like a few different contracts we can talk about. I think the obvious one to jump into first is Genesis Mana. Uh, but there's a bunch mm -hmm. of other ones too uh, that are all kind of part of this ecosystem. There's Genesis Adventurers, which we'll definitely get a little bit of time to talk about for sure. A-Time. Uh, and there's also Loot Classification and Loot Stats, which I think could be interesting mm -hmm. to just poke around at high level what, what those are for. But let's start yeah. with Genesis Mana. So we've got these loot bags. People have collected them. I happen to mint a bunch of them. <laughs> and then... <laughs> you drop this contract, Genesis Mana. So what does Genesis Mana do and how do people who have loot interact with it? Yeah, so when we created Genesis Mana, it was kind of created with a uh, with Genesis Adventure contract in, in mind. And the idea was that it would be, Genesis Mana would be, well, we essentially wanted to create a card trading game, if you will, to then eventually create your own Genesis Adventure. Uh, and and the lore that we had here was all these loot items had to have come from a previous time where random items got mixed in or, or, or weaker items that were kind of um, similar but not from an order were mixed into these bags. But Tim Shell had done the math and studied this entire spreadsheet and noticed that you could make a perfect person to carry all the items from a specific order. And by doing so, you could then create like a Genesis adventure, which was what we were calling them. So uh, we knew this needed to be a two-stage, a two-stage kind of kind of play here with potentially two different contracts uh, to to use them. And the idea was we wanted uh, the Genesis mono was built deliberately as a midway step to essentially distill is what we called our 
pull out all the items that come from a, an order into its own unique NFT. And then that became your tradable playing card that could then get redeemed when you have all eight of the same color to make your, your, your Genesis adventure, basically. So basically, a small subset of the uh, items in the original loot bags were greatness 15 or higher, which is to say that they had this order suffix at the end. And Tim Shell realized, looking at the contract and the way that they were generated, um, that actually you could perceive within the original loot collection that, that there were some hypothetical set of Genesis adventurers who had traits, who each one would ha be like a loot bag with only loot from a given order. So only of the Fox, uh, you know, uh, for all eight of its traits. Uh, and then yep. what we got originally in the loot contract was actually those jumbled up completely with lots of common ones, uh, that is to say, items that are level 14 or below, so not having an order, um, but that you could... If you could take those ones with an order out, you could reconstruct them back into those original Genesis adventures, and that's what you two set out to do. Yeah, yeah, and kind of the the game itself, um, and the big kind of question mark was: Would people take the step to essentially distill their Genesis mana to then start trading them? Because the idea was, you know, it was actually only a handful of individuals had enough loot bags to create their own Genesis adventure from the collection of loot bags that they owned the only way to do this would be to eventually be able to barter back and forth the loot bag the genesis matter that you have to eventually try and piece together enough of the same order in order to make your, your genesis adventure so so the game here was really like will people uh trustlessly uh share trade their genesis items and and all all in the service of trying to get to build their their genesis adventure you're going to remind me about how many Genesis mana I have distilled that I have not yet used. It's honestly, the, <laughs> the, the, the thing about the game that you've invented is that it really like triggers my decision paralysis <laughs> yeah. around setting up yeah. some of these adventures. It can be uh, actually right now is probably a great time to make them because the market is sort of crashed. And so it's a little bit easier yes. to get, to get it, it. It definitely is the, the kind of, the, this is something that happened after the fact, but once we started doing the Genesis mana, we realized we really started hitting on the edges. So initially what we, what ended up happening was people started teaming together as groups to work together and build their co-owned Genesis adventure. And like when we started doing this, we immediately saw the edges of, of Web3 because to do this, you would set up a Gnosis wallet and Gnosis wallets are still pretty new and it was a little clunky to use. And you just have to kind of trust this random dude you met in Discord and send them you know, your your Genesis mana and then or put it into the Gnosis wallet. And you know, there was all these tricky things which kind of all tease out like how do DAOs operate but really this like a DAO of like eight people <laughs> operate to make a decision to mint a thing but yeah it was kind of interesting how how quickly we started to learn about this concept of um working collaboratively in a decentralized fashion and having to use the tools that were available then which even for then to now i think they've improved a lot but it was still you you, you we immediately saw what, what was lacking totally yeah that was one of the interesting options here yeah yeah, and uh, it, it's quite complicated to assemble all of these pieces, especially because there's some people who haven't even distilled the mana out of their loot bags, and so there's yeah, a bunch of things right, that which, aren't available. Right, which which is one of the the downfalls of this game is that there's some people who are just never going to play. So you actually can't ever unlock all of the Genesis adventures. But what one of the interesting things that we we saw early on was we were able to work with NFTX, which is essentially a place to kind of like 
swap and and list your nfts there to be traded or to be sold and with kind of an entire pool of them we utilize they worked with us uh closely to kind of build some functionality so that we could we would work with them but essentially get them to kind of be this like relatively liquid pool to swap and uh quickly buy or sell the the genesis mana that you need to eventually build the genesis adventure um there Right. So, okay, before we jump too far into Genesis Adventures, yeah. that NFTX uh, integration is very cool, especially on the front end, which we should try and take a minute to talk about a little bit as well. Yep. But before we jump into all that, I wanted to get a little bit into the actual code of Genesis Mana. Yeah. So one thing that I saw is a lot of the Genesis Mana contract revolves around this lost Genesis Mana total, this uh, 2D array. Yeah, yeah. So it's an array of all of the orders. So there's, well, actually, there's a no order one as well, but it's uh, 17 element array and then inside right. of each of those order arrays is a list of numbers uh what are these numbers i actually couldn't figure out what that what those meant. yeah so so basically in in the math of the the contract if you look at the distribution of all the items and the amount of items it would take to make genesis adventures there were some orders where were needed like eight more of power order in the feet in order to 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 complete your full genesis adventure so they might have like a hundred available of the head items but there's only like 50 feet items so kind of the the thinking with the lore was that along the way some of these the 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 rest of the feet items to match the other to get up to the total number of 100 helmets there were lost in time and so that's why they weren't a part of these loot bags, but they had to have existed because there needs to be a complete set of all the of all these items. So the idea was we created this concept called lost mana, and kind of it fit in the lore, but it also became a mechanism to reward the DAO, to reward active community members, to reward us, the founders of of the project. Kind of it built in economic model, if you will, without actually like tokenot using the token as as that as an item itself that's the mix there yeah and and the reason why i went into the effort of creating that huge array was to kind of it, reassure the community that we weren't just going to be minting this lost mana left and right to just um you know have these free tokens is that they actually are are locked in place there's only a set amount you could ever have and you you could max out on the items that 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 exist there. Ah, I see. So basically, these numbers, uh, these inventory IDs in this two D array, represent how many lost ones are ultimately available. Available. Yes. And the reason that there's eight numbers in each uh, array is that they represent the eight traits. Uh, so it's yes, exactly, so, exactly. So many feet uh, armor are available, for instance. Yes. Got it. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and th this is one of the examples where. There are more clear examples, but but this is again where I look back at it, and I, you know, as you're you're kind of talking about, I was cringing because I was like, there's a probably maybe not this one, but there may have been a better gas efficient way of stored um, all, all this data here. But to that to the array actually isn't so bad. But as a whole, I kind of if I were to do this again, which I'm sure you you'll get to at some point about this specific contract, but the fact that it's a 721 versus an 1155 mm. should have been it should have been 1155, especially because these are kind of disposable nfts if you will yes meaning like you're gonna get rid of them to get your ultimate one like it should have been 1155 to to get your ultimate 721 
it, that's the biggest thing I think I, I would have changed on this one. So I, I guess we, we didn't, we sort of skipped over it, but basically you come to the Genesis Mana contract and you can distill uh, in the language of the contract a specific item from the original loot contract if it's over this greatness 15. And actually in this contract, it's done individually. So you can't distill everything in from a single loot bag. You have to do them individually. I wonder if that's something you would consider revisiting in a, if you had done Yeah, it. Of, of course. Right. And, and, and the reason when I, when I started, when I tried doing it as a multi-mint as a 721, the price. it was really, really, it was yeah. really expensive gas. And so, yeah, that, that, that was another area where my lack of experience definitely showed. <laughs> but I think it's incredible because you got it out really quickly. I don't know how much how much time there was between the drop loot drop and then when I, the, this was it was probably i think it might have been a week and a half two That's weeks crazy. i mean there were uh, we I, we were doing two full-time jobs essentially working all evening i kind of we, we both got our our permission from our wives and families <laughs> to just spend the weekends focused on this as well but yeah it was essentially just intense build to, to kind of get get it to a point to get shipped and this is a situation where it's kind of like there was a, a moment happening and we need to capitalize on it and like i could try and figure it all figure it all out and do it perfectly but you know i think bias toward getting it out yeah, yeah. I think you chose right so okay and then i also see yes you mentioned there's a down mint function on this contract uh has that been used yet yeah so that was used um i'm trying to remember now that the down mint creates the lost mana I think that's what the downment function was was for. It's been a while since I've actually dug into it, but yeah, that that function is used primarily for. Yeah, you're right. It, for, for basically, lost, it, it lost yeah, it, it's an ad, it's an admin mint function is is what it is to to create the the lost mana. And the the thing there was um, in order to do again, there would have been this probably would a better way to architect it, but in order to mint all the lost mana, we had to manually enter in the order and the item. <laughs> And we had to do it for the total number of lost mana items that we had available. Oh, geez. And again, okay. yeah, there probably was a better way to do it, but eventually I ended up doing it. Um, we had one of the, the guys, the founding guys team, he was like manually doing, he manually did like thousands at some point. I was oh like, my gosh. you just did this manually? And eventually I was like, I'm going to write a program. <laughs> so I wrote a program to do it. It was a little scary because I'm literally looping a thing on mainnet. <laughs> totally scary. <laughs> to just <laughs> mint the thing. But I, I did it. It worked. Um, were you limiting how many transactions you were sending per interval so as not to affect the gas price yourself? No. Well, this was, I think this was a time before, you know, the, the NFT cult winter. So gas was, the cheapest I could get it at was like 80, I think, was like Oof. cheap at this point. Yeah. And so there was already a lot of action going on. So I don't think I was influencing it. And I had to um, rate limit it pretty severely because... I think it was connected to Alchemy or whoever didn't like the fact I would be, or it didn't, you know, you could only do one wallet transaction at a time. So I only could, so it, it was pretty slow. You have to wait a little um, bit. Mm. Yeah. yeah so, I, so I, I wouldn't know, have they to they wait. let you send in advance, like queue up in advance, I guess. They, yeah. I actually wasn't queuing. I was just, I, w I wrote it. So just waited until it was done and kicked the next one, kicked the next one. Okay. Okay. Um, well, maybe not a bad Which kind idea. of, yeah. Yeah, which which was good. I didn't want sending a blast and realizing, oh no, I put in the wrong number or gas price or whatever. Yeah, that would have been bad. So have to cancel or a thousand like transactions. Then. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh, crazy. Okay, so and then in some ways, the Genesis Mana contract really resembles loot a lot. In some ways, it's a little bit different. 
does have some like like these functions we talked about endowment and mm-hmm. sort of being primed with the lost mana uh which allows you to sort of prep us for the next stage It'll allow us to have enough mana to be able to mint all the genesis adventurers i'm curious is there any particular ways you think you had to go beyond what the loot contract uh inspired for this particular contract anything come to mind well I don't think so, but there were definitely areas where I, I think I copied the loot contract mm-hmm. um, and and wasted gas doing so. Like with the actual, I wrote, I think I copied, pasted over all the actual full order names as in a full-on array, um, a couple other things as, as a full-on array and didn't need to, I didn't need all that uh, listed there. You but, could have but referenced yeah, it from I mean, loot, or you could have gotten away without even having it in the first place. I think I could have gotten away without even having the full name listed there. I could have used used something else. You just use the 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 number itself instead of the full text itself. Yeah, yeah. In some ways, like loot was, it was heavily inspired by loot, and say even down to like you know, it was the my starting point for what patterns existed with solidity was with loot. And so you know, you can kind of see it there. And I think the next thing I might have I, I saw a couple other contracts where I got some ideas of other patterns. But yeah, it was largely very much loot loot kind of inspired. So that, that that's why there yeah it, you'll definitely see a lot of references to kind of what what was done in loot. I, I re kind of redid. Okay, let's hop to Genesis Adventures. So you kind of describe Genesis Adventures, but maybe give us like two sentences on what is Genesis Adventures as a contract. Yeah, so Genesis Adventures lets you essentially take your uh, Genesis mana uh, and if you have all Genesis mana uh, of the same order and one that fits in each item slot, uh, you get to mint uh, your Genesis adventure. And so the idea with a Genesis adventure is that your Genesis adventure is, you know, a pretty tricky, hard to achieve item to, to mint that, that you're, but you're, you're hand curating and you're making, yeah, and, and so that that's kind of the idea with the, the Genesis Adventure was that it was like the culmination of of all of this kind of go fish game and collecting all the right mana that 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 you need of the right order, and then finally like redeeming them for your for your Genesis Adventure. So essentially, the me- mechanistically GA just checks that you have made this claim transaction while in possession of all the right Genesis mana, and I think it actually. Does it require Actually, approval to to take it out of your own wallet? Yeah. So so you, yeah, it, it needs approval. So we you obviously can't just check that the Genesis mod is there. You need to essentially redeem it. One of the errors uh, of the first contract was uh, I didn't include burnable on the on Genesis mana. Uh, so it would have been much better to have just burned that the Genesis mana. But instead, in lieu of it, it was like, well, we'll just move them into <laughs> wallets that are owned by the orders to just kind of get them out of the individual's wallet because otherwise, you know, they could just reuse it for another thing and that, that obviously kind of breaks the game. Right. So, so yeah, the, the, con- the conclusion was to that, all right, we'll move it into kind of a, a, a wallet specific to the order to get it out of the wallet. And, and, you know, by doing so, it's redeeming it and checking that you have the ownership of it. Very cool. I also noticed that there are three versions of Genesis Adventures. What uh, changed between them? Yeah, so... That that was kind of kind of a, a deliberate thing. So, and those that was where it's gotten more kind of complex there. So, the the first one um, was obviously the, the initial push. the The second upgrade was to essentially unlock. Now I'm trying to remember the differences between the second and the third 
upgrade here, what, what we specifically added, um, they're kind of mixed together in, in my mind. But essentially, the upgrades were to unlock more functionality to the Genesis Adventure owners so that they could do essentially different things to their now currently owned Genesis Adventures. Uh, so for example, so Lost Mana you know, has floated into the, the essentially people's Genesis Adventures were being created. Some of the items that they were used to created were Lost Mana. Which um, is to say synthetic, so synthetic it, mana that was created in the Genesis Mana contract that wasn't in the original loot set. Right, exactly. And and so what the item would be, would say is, you know, list out all these actual item names and then just say lost foot of the of the of power or something. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we decided to do was utilize kind of a time, which was kind of the, the third contract that we created here as like this utility token to help rename these lost items. Yeah. You know, so part of minting your Genesis adventure is that you'd now have um, the ability to claim what we called a time and that a time really have an, any initial utility. Uh, and so we wanted then to create utility out of, and, and, you know, wanted to use that as the in-game token essentially to do stuff with your, uh, with your Genesis adventure. And so that's what these upgrades did was enable you to use a time to kind of modify your, your adventure basically. Cool. So if you ended up constructing an adventure with a lost mana, then you could give it a name finally by spending some of this A time, which we'll talk about in just a second. So obviously we're talking about V2, V3. How is uh, GA upgradable? How did you achieve upgradability with this? Yeah, so so we use the Open Zeppelin kind of upgradable methodology here. And I think it was, again, this is since I'm like, first I'm doing upgrades, let's just add it in and see what happens. And like, I, I wrote enough tests to be like, all right, it does upgrade. <laughs> <What's> <laughs> there, but, but, I, but I didn't actually like, you know, attempt to fully build another sure, version sure. of it and an upgrade or anything. But uh, so, so when I finally came to writing it, I was like, okay, I, I kind of can see. And, and as I started doing more, I realized, oh, there's different things I could have done here to make it, to not have to rely on, on the upgradable contract as much in terms of making having the contract refer to like a renderer contract or mm-hmm. refer to other contracts to build upgradability that way versus just solely relying on on this uh th- this proxy upgrade i feel like at some point upgrade uh, making your contract upgradable was was kind of looked down upon but i do feel like it's now more commonly accepted as like it is software there will be mistakes and if you want this to, um and you want it to change without having to like you want it to change without having to throw it all away like you got there this contract will be upgradable but the, you know it's balanced between will will a rug be pulled after now that it's, it's upgradable upgradable in some way yeah definitely I've, I've never used the uh open zeppelin upgradable thing myself I, I but i'm more familiar with the second approach you mentioned like just getters and setters for a particular yep. contract that other contracts other uh, functions in your contract will refer to what do you think the advantages or disadvantages are of of uh, the open zeppelin versus that like lower key the, kind of upgradability. Yeah. The open Zeppelin makes it so that you could change a ton of functionality. The main thing is you can't overwrite, you know, any existing memory slots that you might have used or any variables you might have already created. I think annoying part about it is that it makes for some pretty messy looking code as you upgrade over time because you just kind of got to keep your old fun- uh, you know, your old functions there. You could probably remove the actual meat within the function, but the function name needs to kind of sit there because otherwise 
you create another function, you're just overriding the memory slot of where that function was, and then you'll you'll run into weird to weird errors there. So I think it it's probably I, I would prefer to do it with the getters and setters me method because I think it's a lot cleaner. Mm -hmm. But it does require some decent level of, of of forethought into making sure you you do it you map it all, all out essentially. Like basically pre planning the interfaces for what those contracts will point at. Right, right, exactly. Like like um or, or if you wanted to add any new storage to the main contract, you could do it with the opens up and upgradable. But if, if you do it, if you wanted to create a, a new set of something that you want to store as a composable item on the main contract with a getters and setters method, you you wouldn't be able to just add it in after the fact, after it's been, been deployed. Right. I wonder how many people in the world right now know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I know. that This is super nuanced, especially because it's like talking about composable Web three, but it's the shit. Which it's is so like cool. it's so cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But I do. It does make me wonder sometimes how many people have ever written a contract with upgradable, let's say, metadata or something, or you know, have thought about this. It's interesting. Yeah, I I don't know. I I feel like it's becoming more and more. I mean, I think this upgradable thing will be part of the norm moving forward. Yeah, but it, the probably the. Yeah, it feels like they're still not total. Uh, definitely, it's some people consider it controversial. I was looking at. Um, uh, I spoke with Remnant, who's a Solidity dev, the other day, and they made a. I think they called it ERC seven twenty one ATM or something like that. AM, AMT. I'm forgetting the name, but in any case, it was uh, sort of an attempt to standardize, at least for their own contract, like upgradable metadata via the getters and setters style but with building into it an option for any token holder to opt out of the upgrade and revert to a prior metadata, which I thought was a kind of interesting okay. approach. I don't know if yeah. in practice you really want to fracture your metadata that way, but uh, yeah. it is cool to think about like at least um, like add only, uh, like append only style upgrades to contracts and having some kind of assurance of that in the code is is kind of an interesting direction too. Yeah, I, and yeah, I probably would, would add that like, if there was some DeFi thing I was looking at and it had upgradable in it, I'd probably look at it a little bit harder. Yeah. But like, you know, I kind of, for this, like, well, this is a game. There, you know, it, it's it's meant to be, sure, there's value to it, but, you know, hopefully no one's life savings <laughs> um, attached to it. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so upgradability seems, this is like software, right? Like you use a, a you play a game in web two, you expect it to get upgraded. It's going to get new features appear magically. That's kind of the, the same thinking here. Got it. And actually, one more thing on Genesis Adventures. I, I was poking around and saw this contract, Genesis Lost Mana Naming.Sol. And I wanted to ask you, what the hell am I looking at? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a contract. It has one function called get max, uh, which yes. includes an assembly switch statement. Yes with I think 1400 lines of cases, one, one case on each line. What is that? What is it? Yes. Do? This is before I came across, um, I don't know if you've heard of the S-Store 2. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so this was in lieu of using that because I didn't know that that was out there. <laughs> I essentially um, wrote this entire thing. It's essentially a way to, to have a massive lookup table without having it be an actual fully in storage array because an in storage array for something this big is like way too expensive uh whereas just doing it as a byte code switch statement brought the cost from like two eth or something like you know maybe two to three eth down to like 
you know, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.1 ETH, uh, which was way more manageable. And that was the gas cost um, for uh, putting it on chain in the first place or for accessing it with yeah, another function? No, no, that was just to deploy. Okay. Um, which, which, you know, it's like, sure, that's fine. Uh, we, we could manage that cost. But of course, we did find an error. And it's like, oh, we have to redeploy. And, um, and so that, that was the, the concern. And, and that's why we went this kind of funky path to, to store it there. But yeah, so what that does is that has to do with the the lost mana and when you rename your lost mana now, there was there's only a limited number of um item names essentially. So, you know, going all the way back to the loot contract, the different loot items have different types of names, like divine would be one of the adjectives that you could use. There's there, there, there's dragon high. There's all these different uh, adjectives that are attached to these different items that are available. When you rename it, we didn't want to make it free for all, and you can name anything. And so everyone would always choose like you know the most the dragon hide or divine, divine everything. And if you look in the math, there are actually only a certain number of divine robes available. And so we we didn't want to like flood the market essentially with a bunch of divine mm -hmm. items or, or flood the market with a bunch of dragon hide whatever so we like built this huge array to say there's only for this order and this item you can only use the this adjective x number of times and so that's essentially what that huge table does it makes sure that you when you mint out and when you rename your item there's only ever like maybe five divine robes available and then once people have used all the divine robes there's no more you can't rename your lost item a divine robe anymore so um it, if it was a, a body item it, so in a way this is sort of the mirror of the 2d array we talked about earlier lost genesis yes, mana yes. total on the genesis mana contract uh was a way of storing a limitation on how many of each order how many um, traits of each order like feet of or, you know foot of whatever order mm -hmm. uh, this is for prefixes um, which I guess there's just a lot more of, so it would have been even worse to store it as an array as you did in the in the prior case. In the other case, it was just you knew that the, the each trait each, each item has a slot, uh, and there's only sixteen orders. Versus here, there's many more possibilities. Yeah, exactly, and and that that was why it ended up becoming this huge um, uh, case switch statement. Crazy. Okay, I think that's I think that's a pretty good tour of Genesis Adventures. I don't know if there's anything mm -hmm. else you remember from that contract particularly worth mentioning, uh, or we can move on to a time. No, I, I I think that that covers all the little nuances about it. Cool. Okay, so so we talked a little bit about a time. So it's like a currency. Maybe who can claim a time and functionally, how do you go about minting it on the contract? Yeah. So a time was written so that actually we could swap out the contract that it authenticates against or verifies that you have an nft of because we initially launched doing a collaboration actually with um the realms project mm -hmm. and so anyone who had a realm could also get a time and so it was written to have the flexibility and so there was essentially different different seasons and so the for the first one you would essentially if you had a realm you could claim a time uh using your your realm and then after a certain time period we changed it so that if you have a Genesis Venture, then you can claim your A time. And the idea, which in practice we hadn't got around to doing any more, that we could continue to use it for different contracts to essentially start claiming 
some some a time uh, that way. That's cool. So basically, you could be bringing in if there's an interesting derivative or maybe even a diminutive way to describe it. But if there's an interesting project in the loot verse, you could potentially bring them in by doing a season, allowing them to mint their own a time. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Very cool. So originally for Realms, uh, which is another really interesting and successful project that's kind of mind-bogglingly going into CK stuff right now. I have no idea how they're how they're doing it, but yeah. uh, it's yeah. impressive for sure. And then, uh, so Genesis Adventure. So Loot was not uh, has not been issued a time. It's uh, for people who've really claimed their Genesis Adventures at this point. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 that's what it still still is now set to uh, to kind of do is to allow you to get a time. And kind of the idea was, the thinking with a time was, you know, there is a gold, which was released very quickly after uh, loot came out and kind of became like the gold of the loot universe and kind of was almost like gold to some people at some point. <laughs> um, and so that that was like the currency of the loot, loot verse was kind of the way you were thinking of like, but there needs to be some type of like actual in-game token that doesn't really have a monetary value. So oh, maybe eight time becomes the in-game token that's used, and so that was the thing behind eight behind eight time. That was why we uh, did the collaboration with Realms. I think as every DAO goes through their thing, they realize, but well, wait, the token is where you can make some monetization. So I, I think it does, didn't back out in that way for this to become the mass adopted uh, token to be to be used. Because uh, so far, eight time has not been speculated upon, really. Yeah, it hasn't speculated, and and it's only it's only utility um, within the Genesis project itself. There's no 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 other utility. Like to me, a time would be a success if any loot quote unquote derivative project uh, you needed to do some in game action, you would use a time to to do it versus like ETH. But that that didn't end up happening, and and uh, and I think the reason why is because. People, the reason why people create their own tokens is because they want to be the owners of that token. That becomes a way they reward the founders, the the DAO, you know, so on and so forth. Got it. And so, just to talk a little bit about the mechanics, actually, in the A time contract, you have this claim all for owner. Uh, so, uh, as opposed to the mana contract, at this point, we're able to yeah. uh, start claiming well, right. all and, of the tokens we have. And I'm, I won't take credit for this contract in its entirety because. Lord of a few, who is the kind of founder of the Realms project, tweaked and modified the A time contract uh, so that it would one work with with Realms. So it did have that ability to be compatible across multiple things, and uh, and you have the claim for all. And two, I was on vacation in Hawaii when they wanted to get this out, and I was like, guys, I'm on holiday. I can't. I can't just step away from my family right now. They'd be really, really angry. <laughs> um, so he stepped in, started doing it. But I was pushing code from dinner, pushing to mainnet or, you know, through a, a VNC tunnel or whatever <laughs> to, to be able to, to to try and get it out there for them. But yeah, so... Damn, your family so, but, but the, yeah. real, the real MVPs. Yeah, exactly. And Lord of a Few also, uh, another super yes, interesting Yes, yes. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Cool. Uh, were there any other mechanisms in that contract that you thought were interesting or maybe worth talking about? No, I think you know the the ability to to switch the attributing contract. I think is is pretty neat here. Building in all like the the functions to like as as an admin do that. I think is was kind of um, smart here. Setting the max number of tokens per each season and, and all that stuff was like the stuff that was there. But uh, I like that this was built in a way that was very scalable mm-hmm. um, and like re- repurposable. 
if you wanted a time to then be applied to other things and, and it still can easily be used as like to, a way to issue out more of these tokens um across other other projects that, that makes me think of two questions first of all in a way it's building on agld which had a concept of seasons also but not um, yep. connected to any other contracts it just had its own dao that was able to to create a new season yep. and issue new tokens so sort of taking that idea a little bit further and in an interesting ecosystem way also to be thinking specifically of that not for your own purposes of modularity but in order to be able to be compatible with contracts that are not yet uh, conceived of not yet deployed is pretty cool you mentioned uh, the DAO in this one having some control. We talked a little bit about the DAO previously being able to mint some of the lost mana. Have you thought at all about how these DAOs are governed? Or are they just multi-sigs currently? And have you given any thought to on-chain governance? Yeah, they're currently a multi-sig. And you know, we, we did issue out, we did initially create tokens and we were going to be thinking about distributing out like governance, a specific governance token across all that. But what we realized was, and this is kind of my learning of DAOs over time, I think we started, we entered the world as probably everyone does, thinking DAO, DAOs are the solution to everything. And so DAOs should have the ability to do snapshot votes on all product development. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, but then you quickly realize, like, wait, you can't build a product that way. Wait, that DAOs, doesn't sound DAOs, great. That sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so DAOs, I think that where the DAO comes into place is like how much participation do you want the community and then you realize wait but you could just also do this by like having a poll in discord and because that that is the community so if you just do a poll so we started doing a lot of stuff where the poll of we hold a, a poll inside discord and the result of that poll becomes essentially the snapshot vote right and and you do, and we have um token gated at genesis adventure or gated rooms and you do the poll in that room and that is like enough to for us to, as a governance way to say, that, all right, the community has spoken. We're now going to do it in this way. That's essentially how how we've set up the the governance kind of and the the way the the token the, the community is involved without having to actively have a token to kind of do all the formal stuff there. Yeah, I think it seems like people are maybe realizing that on chain governance isn't what you gain in uh, sort of. Technical decentralization maybe doesn't actually lead to necessarily the most productive outcomes, depending on the scale of the project. I mean, maybe it's like an important yeah. piece of DeFi or ENS or something. Uh, I, could, I could see the reasoning behind having on-chain governance, but it looks like for projects like this, there are a kind of group of sort of trusted people who are moving the thing forward, and maybe it's not so bad for them to have a multi-sig that can do some of these actions, given that their reputation right. and, and them being invested in the sort of legitimacy, you know, they're not just going to start minting a bunch of a time or something at least so right. far. I, I guess until it happens and then it'll be a problem yeah yeah I, I guess i mean we still have the protection of of the the gnosis safe the multi-sig wallet to kind of protect us with certain actions but actually the interesting thing when we were doing this was like and this probably stems from experience as like scaling companies was like wait do you know there's going to be a point where we probably want to pass this off and we don't want to just like shut it down but also don't want to like keep it doing it and then pass it off to my kids at some point. So like we have to figure out how do we build a thing and then move it on to the next set of really active community members. And so we've had a lot of discussions around where, where it's going. And actually, you know, I think not in a formal turn over the keys kind of way yet, but we have essentially passed off the the leadership and the vision of Genesis onto, you know, a, a new generation. Like Loot Hero is uh, is someone who's now he was an active early member on Genesis. 
but now he's kind of driving the the next wave of of Genesis um, and and where it could go and different collaborations that uh, that, that Genesis is doing with them. And so that that's kind of the thinking here was how do we make it so that this is a project that just that this game doesn't just die once Tim Shell and I have to pick up and 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 do something else it it can continue to live because the community is still active and so wants to be a part of it Mm -hmm. i'm curious how many genesis adventures do you have i have i think i want to say six maybe seven although i will admit i did not own i only have what i only ever ended up acquiring one loot bag which reminds me i should probably buy some now that the floor has drastically (laughs) dropped Um, they're free they're on discount uh, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so, so how come you got so involved in all this without owning so many loot? I mean, not that your reasoning was because you owned loot, yeah. but I'm surprised you never acquired more than just one. Well, because the prices were always sky high during during the peak of it, and I, you know, partly because I was helping making them really high <laughs> by, <laughs> by 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 building stuff along it. So in the end, I was kind of like, well, you know, as long as it's an active ecosystem, I don't think I need to necessarily own the loot to, to, to be a part of it. And it's almost um, kind of this uh, analysis paralysis part too. It's like, well, then I can't just buy a random one. I got to research to make sure the, the rarity of this bag is, is, you know, good enough. And is it the worth <laughs> best price? And it's like, oh, it sounds like so much work. So I'm surprised to hear that out of you of all people, because to me, Genesis, <laughs> Genesis Adventures is, is homework. <laughs> it's so yeah, much work. Yeah, yeah it, it is a very, I guess, uh, numbers related game. <laughs> it's it's not like unfun. It's just honestly, it's more the finality because you're whether or not technically you are effectively like burning the mana when you create the adventure. So it's some people, I guess, for context for people who who aren't familiar, but some people have you know created all level twenty one. Is that, is that twenty one is the level with the plus ones, right? Mm-hmm. Great, yep. greatest 21 i should say um, yeah so someone have some people have created adventures that all of the items are plus ones with like the highest rated but you can only get those in hunter or c- certain classes because other classes based on how the randomness was assigned you can't even they don't exist so it's there's so many intricacies to understand it's it's really incredible the thing the loot has always reminded me a lot of magic the gathering but in a kind of yep. it is it is interesting because it's both very like Magic the Gathering and very unlike Magic the Gathering. Of course, everybody, I, I didn't play Magic when I was a kid, but I played Pokemon and, you know, we would invent our own Pokemon and uh, pretend to be Pokemon and things like this. Mm-hmm. There is a participatory, imaginative fanfic element to any kind of universe, but Magic the Gathering is really very much a corporate universe that's controlled by a company that, you know, is whatever, issuing Furby cards and uh, yeah. Walking Dead and other kind of collaborations. Now it's it's sort of embedded in this corporate IP mindset, whereas loot is really not like that. And everything that you built here, although Tim Shell may sell it as like in a way just kind of falling out of the original contract, there's a lot of stuff you did that really did not, like the lost mana, for instance. <laughs> you know, it's the seeds are there, but there was a lot of engineering to make it actually sort of fit together in a way that it could be played. So it's it's interesting. Do you do you think do you have any connection to Magic or do you think about any other? I mean, I, I definitely to? yeah, I I did I did play Magic as a growing up a bit, and I definitely do see the parallels here of of loot in general. The the Genesis Mana part, you know, it it's less Magic because you're not battling, you're not doing like that. That was a part, you know. I think when people think when loot first came out, people thought game meant oh, it's like an RPG. It's going to be you know, like Diablo or, or any of the, the, those types of games. And 
can't wait till that game finally comes out. But in some ways, the game itself was actually like the social interaction, the building of the community, the meeting of these people. That was kind of the loop game in, in a very meta way. <laughs> mm, um, that's true. And, and that became the game was like, loot is now there's a loot verse and there's people building and you're working together. You're, you know, meeting people who you probably wouldn't and wouldn't have ever met across the world and having conversations around passionate conversations around a topic that's more than just like fan fiction. Uh, you know, I think yeah. that exists obviously amongst star Wars fans and, and diehard fans and Lord of the ring fans or whatever, but there's something different here because like, we all have the subtext of like, we're builders. We're all trying to build something fun and great. And like the long run, you know, sure. We might have some amazing loot universes, loot games, but out of this is like the future of the internet, <laughs> the future of how we interact, the future of how we trustlessly work together in a group of five, eight random people. I just met <laughs> um, to then sign a contract and perform an action where I get something greater out of it. Like, that's essentially what the Genesis adventure is. And like seeing that happen is like, you could see how that could apply to the real world in some way. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so, so yeah, that, I, I'm lost thinking about uh, the diehard fanfic community. That sounds fascinating, but yes, you're totally right. It is, it is a lot like the gathering piece of magic yeah. and it's not only the gathering in the sense of playing uh, at a local game store, but actually building with other people, like the connection you made with Lord of a few and, and, and Tim shell and others, these are, you know, some people may come and go in Ethereum, but I think a lot of people are going to stick around for a long time. And the relationships that are formed through these kinds of experiences, whether they be through working at some company or a DAO or whatever, or in this case, this like really amorphous decentralized loot verse is very, very interesting. And it's very cool that the talk a little bit about fanfic, but it's like the Genesis Adventures project to me feels like kind of fulfilling the prophecy of loot in a way. It's not like a mass market game that so many people have played in terms of building their characters, but it does feel kind of like, oh, this was this is where this was headed, and somebody else will add some other block to the some other deploy some other contract to the chain that will create the next step uh, in the evolution and introduce more people to it and deepen the relationship of those who are already playing. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like like to think that that you know we created one one of the first loot games that's out there. Other other teams are building other ones, and they kind of all just stack on top of each other in some form or another. But yeah, so I I think that that's the part that's kind of this this world building concept um, is pretty is pretty interesting, and the fact that it started with just like a contract that contained a bunch of words, uh, yeah. uh, and and it's from their loose or, from that loose organization principles that existed within the loot contract and that pluck function, a lot of meaning came out of it. <laughs> Absolutely. So there's a couple of contracts we didn't get to yet, which I'd love to touch on. Loot classification mm -hmm. and loot stats. Can you just explain what these contracts do? I know they kind of interact. Yeah. So the reason why there's two and not one was another project had created the loot classification contract. And so they, they created that contract and uh, they created it in such a way that they wanted people to build on top of it and contribute to it and kind of re-release the next version of it when when it's whenever they do it. So I felt like okay, I'm going to I'm going to build on top of their contract to derive some base numbers and so essentially what the loot classification contract does again looking into the pluck function you can quickly realize like oh there is this concept of greatness that's built in 
it's translated into these words and adjectives and suffixes that name the item, but the item itself has a greatness, has an actual numerical number there, along with other things like like a ranking, like there's a ranking of of, of items and, and so on and so forth. So there were these like this extra metadata that was there that just wasn't being surfaced by the loot contract. So the idea behind loot classifications was it was already doing some of this surfacing of that uh, hidden metadata. And so I wanted to add to it to add the other stuff of um, level and, and greatness into it. So went ahead and modified a version of, of loot classification to essentially create, make that now accessible as a utility contract that anyone can, can hit up from their own Web3 contracts. Got it. So yeah, so for people following along, if you go to docs.loot.foundation, you can see some of uh, the data uh, that we're talking about. Um, for instance, uh, if you're uh, in the warrior class uh, for the weapon tr uh, item, there are there's a club, a mace, a maul, a quarterstaff, and a warhammer. And those are in ascending order of, I think it's called level. So there's many different these traits that are not not directly visible in the metadata for the loot contract. So that's what you were exposed. I guess it was Crypts and Caverns, or I'm not sure. Yeah, you're right. It, it, yeah, it was Crypts and Caverns who created the first uh, loot classification contract, which uh, at that point just exposed the material and the class of the item. And so I wanted to add on to it this concept of greatness and uh, and and ranking and level onto it as well. Cool. So that's what. Uh, so there's loot classification and loot stats. Loot stats does the latter piece, the part that you added. No. So so loot classification does it on a per item within a loot bag. Loot stats can do it on the on a on a bag level. Ah, so cool. it kind of calculates it for the entire bag. What is the greatness and ranking and, and so on and so forth um, on the bag level? Uh, so you can get a sense of of the, what what that bag is is kind of calculated as. And that same contract can be used on a Genesis Adventure, so you can then calculate the greatness and you know so the level and the ranking and you know so on and so forth on the um, on the Genesis Adventure. So then that then became extra metadata that we eventually published back into the Genesis Adventure contract. And so one of the the one along the way, one of the upgrades we had done was that it would show these stats on the Genesis Adventure, but we kind of felt like this is stuff that should have been on the loot bags. Mm -hmm. I guess it would Dom have been difficult to show in, in the original loot bags visually represent it because each item in the bag would have different uh, rankings. Right. Whereas you're giving right. and, and, like the sum of the ranking for the, the full whole adventure, right? Right, right. And, and you know, we came up with a methodology in loot stats to calculate what the whole bag's greatness would be, which is just, you know, the, the, the sum of all, all of it, of all the individual items' greatness. But like, uh, yeah, so, so it essentially allows you to get some more numerical metrics assigned to your loot bags or your Genesis Adventures, basically. But these are both released kind of as utility contracts. And the, I had an interesting conversation here about like whether or not to make these contracts upgradable themselves, these utility contracts, because over time it may change. So it may come up with a, uh, a new set of metadata here. But kind of the conclusion that, that I came to here after talking through through it with the Crypts and Caverns, it was like, well, if a someone builds their contract relying on this utility contract, and then the utility contract just kind of changes the result on without you knowing, like that's the worst kind of developer API you would ever use. And so you just never use it. So 
the best way to do upgradability in a utility contract is to just issue a whole new contract and in the documentation state, you know, if you want version one, here's this contract address. If you want version two, here's this contract address. And when version three comes out, make sure your um, you have a getter and setter for this contract mm. so that you can upgrade once you test that it still doesn't break anything. You can upgrade to this next version of the contract. Um, and, the, and the value of yeah. putting these things on chain is really to enable not only Genesis Adventures to use them, but for other contracts in the ecosystem to benefit from these stats, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So other the ecosystem can then start to formalize around what is the definition of, of, these, of these stats. So that, that's the other thing here is that like, this obviously could have just been done as, you know, on a, on, in Web2 with a subgraph that just calculates it, which is largely how it is used in practice. But by putting it, you know, on chain and having it show up on the Genesis Adventure, it kind of locks in like, no, no, this is the methodology. Mm. This is what's been written, written on chain as the methodology to calculate it. And so if you want to change it, you know, it's a big effort to change it. But now this is how it's been saved. So it's kind of using the contract you know, in, in the concept of, um, of fiction. You're using chain to determine what's canon and what's not canon, essentially. And when it's written on chain, it becomes canon. And if it's not written on chain, then it's probably not canon. Uh, it's kind of a, a rough way to, to how we're thinking about it. It's intriguing. It's got this kind of, it's cool that you draw the comparison to computing it off chain with the graph, because obviously you could have done that and it would be free close to it. Right. But it's also not strictly what's just on chain is canon, because there's also some element of sort of uh, loot verse adoption or something like the fact of building it into Genesis adventures makes it more likely that other projects will take a look at it and potentially integrate it into their own calculations into their own metadata. Plus it's already on chain. So it's easier to access, but if somebody else mm -hmm. were to fork it and do something silly by dint of it being on chain, it wouldn't strictly become Canon. It's, it's a mixture of its availability on chain bearing some kind of legitimacy and also being more composable with other contracts than are actually just plain composable versus data derived from the graph that would not be composable within the scope of another contract on chain, plus that kind of adoption, that network effect uh, sort of thing within the loot first. Yep. Very cool. So we've been talking for a while. Uh, I, th I think we've gone through all of the Genesis loot contracts. Is there anything I'm yeah. missing? It's pretty that cool. That was all, all Genesis related contracts. Yeah. That, that, that's, yep. Uh, it's pretty wild. And I know that there was one other thing we should talk about that sort of came up across this, uh, you know, during the course of building all this stuff, which was, you mentioned in Genesis adventures, the or Genesis mana, uh, reaching the kind of limits of the web three experience as it is today, having to trade with people and sometimes not even being able to communicate with them. So can you tell me a little bit about bottle.to? Yeah, that was, uh, that was born out of Genesis Mana, um, kind of the idea that, man, there seems to be a pain point here of you can't seem to connect, you know, you know there's all these loot bag holders who might have the item you need, but how do you contact them? Because these wallets are all anonymous. And so, you know, I'm sure someone will figure out a way to essentially basically do messaging. I mean, OpenSea should just have a messaging feature built in at some point. But the idea was, all right, but they obviously probably have plans on the roadmap, not have for five years or whatever. What can we do? essentially take advantage of the the ecosystem that we know that's out here to essentially send messages back and forth. So kind of built as an experiment, this bottle.2 was a way to essentially send NFTs, uh, airdrop rather, NFTs into someone's wallet in hopes and leaving them a custom message in hopes that they read it and then reach out 
to the person who sent it um, to trade their, their for their mana or to to do do some type of transaction there. And you know, the incentive might be like, hey, by the way, you should mint your mana because you can make money off it, kind of thing. But so yeah, so, so that, to give that people was like a visual uh, idea, it looks a little bit like yep. a loot. Uh, you know, there's a white text on the black background with a little um, sort of strip along the bottom with contact details for how they can get in touch with you, so you can write a message and and just basically airdrop it into their into their wallet. Yep. And yeah, we tried to do whatever we could um, to make it as cheap as possible. It's obviously not on chain because uh, there's no reason for it to be. But yeah, again, this is much more of an experiment. But the thinking was like, hey, there might be something here. Like this might be a thing people would start to use and really start to to, to adopt as just a way to communicate with anonymous wallets. Kind of take advantage of the fact that we know OpenSea is going to pop, going to preview any any NFT that's airdropped into your wallet. And if you're someone who obsesses over your wallet, you're going to see this NFT there and be like, what what is this? And you're going to read it, and maybe you'll respond back on whatever form that, that that you you say to respond back on so yeah it, it kind of was like trying to figure out is there a way to, to make this work I, I think we realize in the end obviously the cost of gas highly limits <laughs> the the adoption of this other people have used it and it's been i think it has some decent success rate it, it was hard again also for us to calculate how what is the open rate of all these uh these nfts essentially right but anecdotally we were able to 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 find out like okay yeah this this has connected this has worked for some people it's definitely an interesting yeah we we we, yeah it's more of an experiment i i do think there's a way to to redo like uh we tried to redo it using polygon but then OpenSea spam immediately yeah hit all the polygon uh airdrops which makes sense and like in some ways like the cost of gas is what prevents spam Mm So it's like if you really, really want to send this message and burn your ETH to, to send this message, like great, like go ahead and do it. It probably won't be spam then. But yeah, there were other other things that we thought about doing here. But I see there was, was, was something was like about a, maybe burning a utility token in order to or paying a utility token in order to use the service, something. Yeah, exactly. That was the other thought. Was like maybe they would send along with sending a, a message. You also have the ability to claim a bottle, some bottle.2 token. So that's extra incentive to like, that's how we can get the feedback loop of like, mm-hmm. ah, there's an open rate. They claimed it. So like, but uh, we haven't spent enough time pushing this idea forward. Got stuck in the, uh, the, the loop, the decentralized world building universe. Awesome. So yeah, what are you working on now? If you can talk about anything. So I'm, I'm kind of uh, helping out uh, lending my services to DivineDAO. Uh, so DivineDAO, kind of what you, you hinted at, was an offshoot of the project that Shiru's, the meme rather, that Shiru's created for Divine Robes. A group kind of funded by this uh, org called Windranger came together to kind of build this, this loot project that would kind of tell the stories of, of the Lootverse, basically. Um, and so what I'm working on now is essentially a an NFT slash platform that enables um, people to access kind of uh, an on-chain divine library that will contain all these uh, curated Lootverse stories and uh, kind of the NFT access like the access. And, uh, and yeah, so it's like a, a really kind of interesting extension of this concept of world building of stories and kind of maybe like the next progression of uh for loot for the loot versus like 
all right, the primitives are in place. Some characters have been minted or created. You kind of went through your, your character builder. You got your Genesis Adventurer. The Realms is building out your ability to have land. Next now is like stories. Some stories get created. Um, some lore is is canonized and, and written written on chain as stories people have. And then out of it maybe comes even higher fidelity stories like movies or games or, you know, so on and so forth, stuff like that. So, yeah, so that's kind of what I'm working on right now. Fascinating. Is it, uh, is it too late to mint Genesis Adventures or is it a relevant, active, open-ended project into the foreseeable future? It's open-ended, open-ended project. I think if we ever do anything there, uh, it would be to open it up so that more players could mm-hmm. be involved, meaning like you don't, you don't have to be limited by the fact um, you have to own a loot bag in, in order to play. So th- if anything, it'll, be, it'll open it up so that more people can get involved, maybe, you know. But but yeah, it's still kind of essentially a, an an open mint that that people can still participate in, still be a part of, you know, and um, and still play basically. And basically, all of the stuff that we've talked about today, nothing had a fee associated with it, right? No, uh, Genesis Adventures did. Okay, small. Um, the, 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 yeah, there 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 was a I, I can't remember now what the ETH cost there was. That there was a, a small a small fee to pay, but the idea was well, one it goes to to fund the DAO, which the DAO, there, there is a treasury that has some funds there. And it kind of was also to the thinking is like, well, it's, you know, you're finally creating your Genesis adventure. Like, you know, it we, we want to create a, 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 an actual thing here um, that's significant. So it's like, you know, you're, yeah. you're going to, the value exchange is worthwhile basically. Also, Jesus, just for the, uh, the amount of chain code you put on chain, <laughs> it's nowhere near compensating <laughs> you, whatever the price is, it's nowhere near. <laughs> Yeah, yeah there, there's yeah. something on the order of 500 adventurers right now something like that yeah 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 yep. so i'm sure it's uh i'm sure with all this on-chain data uh you know we're near compensated but so i'm tempted to try and summarize a little bit of everything we've gone through and to, yeah correct me if i'm wrong but while there are like a handful of uh, technical mechanism designs that are interesting we talked about some of them in terms of like storing data more or less efficiently and, and upgradability. But it seems like overall the, this network of projects, which is truly incredible that you did as basically your first project. Um, <laughs> this it's, it's really flexing more timing and some insight about what another contract was up to in order to expand that universe rather than sort of technical innovation inside of these contracts. It feels like it's much more about, being there when the timing was right and enabling something that the composable original contract was sort of encouraging you to do. Is, is that like a fair summary of the orientation of the, this network of contracts? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that is the case. And I think the other element is that like there was a rather, I, I mean, I guess it wasn't a simple game, but there was a game hidden within it that didn't require a ton of technology or innovation to get to it just needed to exist and needed to have the ability to move stuff back and forth basically in a somewhat constructed way and and doing so unlocked the the genesis project mm-hmm. so you know I, as what i've seen having built lots of products along my way is that like you don't often need the latest cutting edge tech slash innovation to build a usable fun product you just need to be able to tie all the pieces together um, in a kind of a unique, interesting way, and then and then and then you would get to it, and, and that, that's that's this is exa- exactly it. Like, I'm definitely not going to claim that 
I wrote, you know, some innovative code here that that that's changing the world. It's it was pieced together, cobbled together as best as possible with my limited knowledge of solidity, all with the goal of like getting it out. There's a market timing. There's a, a moment of interest that, that we can grasp. And there's a unique game that I think people will, that we thought people would, would be interested to play. And we kind of happen to check all those boxes, I think. Yeah, to me, it's equally as impressive, if not more so than any kind of raw technical innovation to assemble some synthesis of latent potential in what's going on now, in this case, on-chain, and to create the whatever it is that's required, in this case, contracts that sort of put an interface onto uh, and affordances out there for people to play the game that was sort of waiting to be pronounced. I think it's really, really cool. And I think it actually kind of speaks to what, you know, there are some other projects that are going into really deep technical directions uh, in order to enable new kinds of things, which is also cool. And Lootverse definitely allows that. But I think it's an interesting lesson that this project, I mean, you said you shipped the original Genesis Man and Genesis Adventures in something like two weeks after Loot dropped. I think that's very inspiring to me as a developer and to others too, no doubt. That's great to hear. Treppers, thank you so much for coming through and talking about all this madness. Uh, I'm super excited to see what comes next. Yeah, no, anytime. I, I, I love talking about this stuff. And um, it, as you said, this is uh, such a nuanced space. Anytime I feel like, um, one, I can connect with someone who, who gets what I'm saying. And two, if it <laughs> broadens someone else who's in a, trying to figure something out as well, like I'm more than happy to help out. So sick. I'm going to have to come hang out at uh, the next Divine Dow get together. Sounds yeah, awesome. definitely. Yep. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you so much. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this episode of Solidity Galaxy Brain. I put extensive links to the topics we discussed in the show notes. Links to subscribe to the podcast are available at solididygalaxybrain.com. You can keep up with me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. Until next time.